It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who's been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. Welcome, welcome, and welcome once again to Roadworthy Drive with me, your host, Ken Chester. We are America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. We talk transportation, technology, and timely consumer news that you need to know. Of course, this hour is no exception. Topics on deck include that deadly convenience known as keyless cars, a conversation about if and how public transportation might fit into the mobility mosaic of the future, and then finally, a surprising look at one of the companies that make up big oil. It's not what you think. All that crammed into this hour just for you. Now, regular listeners know the drill when it comes to connecting with the show. Do you? It's easy, actually. Call or text me now on the Roadworthy Driveline, that number, 872-222-9793. If you would rather communicate via email, I got you covered there, too. My address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either method connects you to me and the show. Now, speaking of the usual suspects, we are fortunate to have the Roadworthy Drive crew at full strength in the studio this week. Introducing the man at the controls, the resident curmudgeon, the fellow with both hands on the controls, and the designated adult in the studio as required by the suits. You know him, you love him, you can't live without him. Say hi to Jack, Roadworthy Drive's executive producer. Back in the studio at mic number two after spending last week in what they're calling an undisclosed location is our sweet and sassy gamer girl, Sasha. And all I can say is howdy, my peoples, and welcome back, Sasha. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. Uh-huh. I want to know, Sasha, can <laughs> yes, I have a sir. bone to pick with you? Oh. I asked for time off. Yes. The suits made me fill out multiple forms in triplicate. I still didn't get it, and you got a week off. Uh-huh. How did you do that? Okay. The- did you submit the paperwork yes. in triplicate yes. with blue yes. paper clips? No. Blue, the- blue ink. You've forgot got- the paper Well, see, that's the see, problem. That's black the problem. ink. Black, black Always ink. black ink. Always black ink. And it had to be submitted at 2.34 a.m. on the second full moon. Yeah. She's right, Okay, Jack. Ken, what's in the park <laughs> this week? Unfortunately, she's right. Um, traditional car speakers. Yeah. Okay, wait for it. There is a car supplier called Continental, and they've got a pending technology that will actually create speakers out of other interior parts of the car. How? Well, these speakers of tomorrow, as they're calling them, uh, retains the moving electromagnetic coil of the speaker, but we'll use that coil to vibrate some existing part of the car's interior instead of a dedicated speaker cone. Okay. All right. Like what like what parts are we talking about? Well, let's well, obviously by moving the speakers first of all gives you more, if you will, real estate in the car to do other things. So like in the case of Google, Google's looking at making a uh, video uh, display vibrate. Okay, but why would you want the vibration? Well, 
Sound comes out as vibration. Right, but I and mean, diff- at different frequencies. Right, right. So if you actually, what I think you're looking at is probably different components within the car vibrating at different frequencies together to get the same quality of sound that you're getting out of a dedicated speaker now. Okay, I have one question. Yeah. Uh-huh. Are Just you telling me I'm finally going to get surround sound in my car? Literally. Oh, good Lord. I mean, personally, I think the best system that they had available were the Bose. I mean, to, when they... to be honest, and I'm going back a ways. Go ahead. But one of the best systems, it was a simple system, mm-hmm. was the Delco systems of the early 90s, AM, FM, stereo, four speakers. Yep. And it was a very rich sound in well, the car. And, and in my truck right now, because I kind of counted, you've got four speakers up front, mm-hmm. yep. two two in two by the windshield, mm-hmm. yep. going down those whatever you call those things, yep. a pillars, a pillar. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then you got two in the door. Mm-hmm. Now in my truck, you've got two speakers behind the seat, mm-hmm. and you've got two speakers above the headrest. Mm-hmm. You got enough speakers in there. I can always use more. I mean, oh, of course. I mean, I mean, let's face one thing. I mean, the guy going down the street with the base set up so high, he's rattling his windows, and the car's going up and down <laughs> like this. Right. I mean, let's be honest here. If the neighbor 15 miles away cannot hear the song that I'm listening to, then it's just not loud enough. Well, there was a study done in Korea, Okay, uh-huh. uh, a research project that detailed how an entire headliner of a car could be turned into a subwoofer. Okay. Now, first of all, we've got people that are doing disco lights. Yes. Up up on the headliner. Complete mm. with disco ball. Right. Yes. Mm. And and you've also got the techno lighting. <laughs> yes. Mm. Now we're going to put speakers up there, too. Yes. I'll go you one better. Mercedes has uh, in their cars now a subwoofer buried deep into the firewall. You can't see it, but you okay. sure can feel it. You go to you go to the the dealership service department and tell the guy you got a rattle. Good luck with that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, here's something else for you. Okay, Texas is getting its own self driving car service. Why does this not surprise me? It's Texas, exactly. Uh, it's called Drive AI. Okay, they're going to do a geo fenced area of uh, the Dallas metropolitan area. Uh, I believe it's uh, Frisco, Texas. Uh, It's a six-month pilot program, and it's an area full of office buildings and traffic congestion. They expect to serve in that six months. They're going to offer rides to around 10,000 people. All right, hold on. You just used a term I didn't understand. Uh Uh-huh. When you say geo-fence, are we talking something like the invisible fence? In a way, controlled by GPS. It's limited to a specific area. So it cannot go out of that area. That is correct. Okay. Um, now, these vehicles are going to have a safety driver initially. You know how I feel about safety drivers in autonomous no, cars, No, Ken, right? tell me how you yeah, really no, feel. No, I'm not going to rant right now, Jack. <laughs> I want to, but I'm going to save it for an appropriate time. <laughs> um, now, they expect once this gets going that they'll actually remove the driver. In the words of my executive producer, what could possibly go wrong? I have a list, number one. I bet you do. Nothing. Nothing yeah, ever. Whatever. Can go wrong. This pilot comes. They're going forward even though there was that problem with the crash with the Uber vehicle in Arizona. And I'm assuming that they're taking uh, the necessary precautions. They are. They are. Without a doubt. Okay. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, got a word for you. Okay. Got Just a word one. for you. One. J- Just one. Okay. You ready for it? I'll wait here. Ohio. That's technically not a word. No, it's a state. Right. 
Can I say in a, a word? Can I have a response to that? Yes. Upper Sandusky. Uh, no. Come no, on now. No. 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 The Leave, girl. Let it go. The girls from Upper Sandusky. Let it go. Okay. Sasha. Am I going to have to go grab the frozen? Let it go. You might have to <laughs> at some point. Basically, by executive um, order, uh, the governor has allowed Ohio to become the latest state to permit testing of autonomous vehicles. Has anybody decided to show up yet? Uh, we have not heard, but this was a recent announcement. Okay. Uh, the whole point, uh, they want to further the governor's efforts to develop Drive Ohio, the state's smart mobility initiative. This initiative aims to drive an increase in autonomous technology development within the state that will allow for a more rapid deployment of their words, not mine, big word, interoperable, big word. That's a dollar word. No, no. Quit <clears throat> using $10 words, Kim. Right? Hey, their word, that down their word not mine. Smart mobility technologies. I would use the word interconnecting, but, you know. There you go. Um, basically, the governor said that Ohio should rank among the top five states of development of autonomous technologies. Basically, it's about the money. Yeah. Smart guy. Um, well, think about it. If they can become, I mean, Pittsburgh is bordering Ohio. Uber started there with their autonomous testing. Right. So obviously Pennsylvania's got a leg up. Michigan is ground Michigan and Silicon Valley together are ground zero. Correct. San Francisco's got all kinds of experiments going on with transportation right now. And that's where the money is. There we talked before there are some three hundred companies around the world that we're aware of that are involved at some point of the autonomous vehicle infrastructure. Whether it's programming or hardware or or somewhere security, there are three hundred companies plus, and Ohio wants a piece of that. Okay, which I can I can understand the money grab, but again, I'm going to go back to something that you and I talked about a long time ago, and that is, we both know that they've tested an autonomous bus in Minnesota in the winter. Mm. Has anybody tested the car yet in? winter any place in the country yet i'd love to see him do it in buffalo new york <laughs> oh that would in be the fun. middle of the winter yeah there you see go. if that thing will work that would be interesting but i guess time will tell coming up next keyless cars convenience or deadly trap you're listening to roadworthy drive with ken chester Listening to Roadworthy Drive. Oh, Mr. Gilmore, I think you should know there's a vicious rumor going around. There are those that say the Valiant has no generator. That's no rumor, Pat. That's a fact. The Valiant, like all Chrysler Corporation cars, has an alternator instead of a generator. Oh, an alternator, is it? Well, now, that must be a good thing to have or you wouldn't be mentioning it. You bet it's a good thing. The Valiant alternator keeps your battery charging even when the engine is idling, with the radio and the heater running. And it costs you nothing extra. Well, think of that now. Pat, nobody puts more value and quality into a low-price compact than Valiant. 
Valiant is the king of the compacts. Looks and drives like twice the price. And yet, this year, Valiant is priced $100 less than last year. Priced right down with the lowest. Well, is it now? And with all-star value days, your dealer is offering trades you never expected to get this time of year. It's really a good time to drop in and talk to him. Well, now, I might just do that. If you're just joining us, this is Roadworthy Drive, and I'm Ken Chester, your host. Thank you for tuning in. Sasha, Go ahead. Yeah. What's on your was mind? Was that Rock Hudson? No. Who was that? Uh, just, uh, you had to ask me that. I did. He's a spokesman for Plymouth. Mm. Uh, Art, I forget his name, and actually mentioned the uh, the fellow with the brogue actually mentioned the man's name, and he does a lot of commercials for Chrysler now through the years. Those, yep. were, the, those were the years before uh, uh, oh, Art Godfrey. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, uh, oh, that's not his name right. But it was before him. Okay. All right. But yeah. And what year was that one? 61. What? Second year Plymouth Valiant was out. Oh. There. So you better now? No. Oh, well. <laughs> Move along, please. Yes. Cars with push button start. Yes. I thought it was going to be one of those automaker gimmicks. Uh, actually, I now, I first discovered it uh, on Nissan and Infiniti models. But in doing my research for the piece... It actually was developed by Mercedes-Benz back in the late 1990s, brought over in the United States starting in 2002. Okay. However, um, right now they estimate that roughly 50% of the new cars on the road right now have it. Now, the most amusing moment I had just recently mm -hmm. with this push-button start, uh, I had a European car that had push-button start, keyless entry, electronic trunk release, and a key. Okay. Here's the problem. There was no lock to put the key in. I looked. Was there any place to put the key in? No. Not, not in the doors. Not in the door. Not, not in the ignition. Okay. Not in the glove box. Not in the trunk. And I'm going. What? Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going. That was a little weird. But every now and then, the automakers lose it, and it gets a little weird. Okay. You, you see that from time to time. But basically, um, anybody that's been listening to the news recently has heard about the growing problem with people dying of carbon monoxide poisoning when they bring their car in the garage that's attached to the house and they think the car is off. Part of that is because cars run so smooth and so quiet. Without a key, you put it in park and you forget. To push the button. Yeah. Now, there's actually three different problems. With keyless cars. Okay. Uh, the number one, not shutting the car off, dying of carbon monoxide, typically affects older people. It, without a key, that process is interrupted, and they don't think about it. But there's an extra deadly part of that. Think hybrids. Overcharges the battery. No, 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 no. You roll into your vehicle. You roll your vehicle in the garage under electric power. It's not running. Right. But you didn't shut it off. You still didn't push the button. You went into the house. Yeah. As the electric battery wears down, it kicks in the engine. Which carbon monoxide again. Exactly. That's extra deadly. Um, here's another one. Uh, do, and it's something that, that I'm grappling with. Uh, okay. This just happened to me. A as you know, uh, you know, bought my wife a new car back in January. Right. It has keyless start. Right. Had a doctor's appointment this week, um, driving my wife's car, let her out so she walked in, and I went to park the car. One little problem. What? She had the key. 
car let me drive away. You were stuck? No. I drove the car and parked it without the key in it. And not even does close it, to does it. Does it have that much range? Yes. In fact, Toyota did a study back in 07 when one of their engineers inadvertently drove one of their cars 250 miles without the key. What? Yeah. From Ann Arbor to Chicago. So How? That's the problem. What is the range? I know that. Is there a national mandate? No. That's the problem. Are we talking that this is probably somehow connected to the Wi-Fi? No. Here, here's the deal. You get in the car. Right. With the key. Right. You start the car. Correct. Maybe you put the key in the house. You give the key to the wife. Whatever. Now, I, make, I do want to make a difference here. We're not talking about remote vehicle start. In remote vehicle start, there is a process. You have to lock the car. Correct. And then start it. When you get to the car, it's not going to do anything until you get in the car and actually press start, even though the car is running. And the car will shut off under those circumstances if you don't. Yeah, what he's saying is that you get in the car, you've driven to your destination. Let's just say, for instance, you go somewhere where they've got valet parking. All right? You retain your key. Car's still running. Car's still running. That attendant can't is supposed to park the car correct in theory he could do so without the key being on his person i'll make it simpler uh, like most people particularly in this part of the country you go up to a convenience store cars running you think because you've got the key nobody can take your car wrong totally wrong yeah we need that buzzer right there that is totally wrong all right, hold yeah. on. Yeah, we need the buzzer. I'm kind of loses something if you have to ask. For I the know, buzzer. but we and now need... we're just doing right. fill-in right. talking. All right, Say but that. we are. Say that again. Yeah, you would think that you could go into the convenience store, leave your car running because you've got the key. <laughs> yeah, no. Mm-mm. You can get in the car. In fact, I did it with my daughter's car uh, a couple of years ago. I did a little test. Wow. I took. I started the vehicle with the key. I took the key out of the car. And drove the car away without the key. Now, from what they tell me, and in talking to insurance people and things like this, this is not such a big deal. But to me, it's a major flaw. Now, some companies, when you get out of the car, and I commend Ford, I used to think it's a bother till I did this research. Now I'm, I'm a fan. If you get outside of a Ford product with the key and the car still running, the Ford will loudly beep at you, brightly and loud. Three times. Very, very loud. Not all automakers do that. There's no, there's no consistent compliance in what they're doing. There's been some question about uh, national highway traffic safety rules and the adoption of uh, Society of Automotive Engineers standards. That would cure a lot of this. Uh, but they're not consistently or widely adopted. Okay. I was told that you could, you could not start the car Without that key fob, mm-hmm. I think we'll just call it a key fob, mm-hmm. in the car. That is accurate. Or on your person. That is accurate. But what happens when you remove, after the car is started, what happens to the running vehicle when you take that key fob away from the vehicle? Theft. Coming up, does public transportation have a place in the future of mobility? Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Do you have a question, idea, or comment for Ken? 
you can let him know by calling 872-888-9793 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Leave Ken a voicemail message or a text. This is the second part of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. For those of you that desire more than your fair share of the road, check out the show website. That's roadworthydrive.com. Discover audio clips of past shows, video of our behind-the-scenes antics in studio, and so much more. You can also check out our podcast now on Google Play as well as Blueberry Podcasting. The website is also a great place to discover what we're doing in the world of social media. Sasha is our social media diva, or maven, whichever you prefer, who keeps things light and lively during the week between shows on social media. See how she keeps the social in our social media. You'll be glad she did. Did I say she did? You did. Right? Yeah. Okay, whatever. You'll just be glad. Check she it sells, out. She sells. She sells. Yeah, I'm telling you. Also, if you haven't already, like us on Facebook, and be sure to check us out on our YouTube channel. Now... Public transportation, it ain't sexy, it ain't glamorous, like flying cars, self-driving vehicles, or maybe even tunnels underneath major cities. But it is a necessary and important part of what I'd like to call the mobility mosaic. So the question is, what about public transportation? You're going to need public transportation, period. Why is that? Uh, you have people that don't have cars. You have people that used to live in the big cities like Boston who driving is almost impossible, and it's a whole lot easier for you to take the train in or the bus in or something else into the city. Well, you know, I used to live in Boston, yes, sir. Yes, you did. Um, here's the thing. Uh, the point is that there is a place in the midst of all of these choices – now, I've been saying for a long time that our future for transportation is more a mosaic of different choices worked in in different ways across different parts of the country. It is not regardless of what it is. One size fits all. There's room for individual ownership of vehicles. There's room for autonomous vehicles, be it an autonomous car or an autonomous bus or something like that. Uh, car sharing, ride sharing, all bicycles, all of this stuff. Um, I did stumble across something in the Journal of Public Transportation, and this was very powerful. Um, in 2009, this one German city, uh, Munster, did a pictorial uh, representation of how much space it took to, to transport the same number of passengers – by car, bus, or bicycle. And it shows the pictures, which I thought was pretty intense. Then they updated that, and they said the space required to transport 60 people by car, by Uber, and by autonomous car. Okay, you're moving it way too fast for me to see that. Yeah. Okay, car. It's the same thing. Exactly. And that's the point they're making. The only flaw that I've got with their approach, I agree in their argument that in terms of high-density um, routes 
you're going to need public transportation because it's the most efficient situation in high-density situations, moving people efficiently from point A to point B. Their argument is that you need to interwine that with real-time availability information and also first-mile, last-mile tie-in when the the high-density situation doesn't work, like paratransit, for example, Mm -hmm. um, and others. In other words, it's not the total cure, but it might be the core of the cure, particularly in high densities. Okay. In high density, I can see that. But where we live, we're in a town of probably 400,000 people. I would say metropolitan area. Yeah. The city is actually just shy of 200,000. Right. In the whole metro area, we're probably at at 400,000. Mm-hmm. Our bus system basically serves those people who don't have a car or are economically challenged. Okay. But here's my counter argument. We are in a future where other situations it is that pu- that public transportation is not the only thing they could ride share they could ride hail they could uh rent a car for a short period of time uh they can ride a bicycle uh this city is experimenting with bicycles and i know that's something that is not near and dear to your heart exactly but it's a thing We've got a lot of bike paths within 40 miles of here. Correct. And growing. And this is a trend. We have experimentation with roads and bike uh, lanes. So that's another opportunity for people where income is not an issue. Their argument is that it's not, again, it's not the end all be all of everything, but it makes sense in a core situation. Now, um, of all places, um, I looked at an article that talked about choices that, of all places, ground zero for individual vehicle ownership mm-hmm. is making decisions about the future of public transportation in their regional area. And, yeah, I'm talking about Detroit. Hmm. Okay. What is the number one cure for that at the heart of their $4.7 billion plan? More buses. But they're wrapping that in what I thought was a pretty cool way, rapid transit buses, something we have here from the suburbs into the city. Correct. Crosstown buses and then local buses. So you had different levels of bus service serving different frequencies for different purposes. That's in addition to rail. That's in addition to other um, items that could be car sharing, car hailing. And I liked the idea because of all places, here's another city that was built upon the individual ownership of the motor vehicle. Looking at different ways beyond the individual motor vehicle to get people around. Kind of ironic, actually. But don't you also think that Detroit's problem with housing right now and the fact that most of that city is in really bad shape for housing is going to have an effect until somebody gets in there but and that's, decides to... But that's changing. And while I won't get into that whole conversation, because that's like a whole nother segment, but that's changing. But they're talking about not just Detroit proper. They're talking about bus service as far away as Ann Arbor, which is about 30, 40 miles. Oh, I didn't realize that. And to the north. So it's not Detroit City. It's it's the metropolitan area and then even the close-in suburbs. Okay, so what you're talking about is like regional transportation. Exactly. And honestly, that's got to be the cure. You can't look at... 
just a city. Where I come from, you mentioned Boston. Mm -hmm. If you live within 75 miles of Boston, theoretically, you don't need a car. Okay. Um, I'm talking about as far away as where I grew up, which was 50 miles away, which back there is like a whole different planet. But between trackless trolley, trolleys, buses, commuter rail, and the like, all of that together was pretty comprehensive in terms of getting if you needed to get there. And when I was in back east, I looked at a situation where it was frequent, and I was still 50 miles out of city, and it was frequent transportation to and from the city even as late as 7 o'clock on a weeknight. So we'll see. Um, Coming up, finally, that interesting and novel journey of a large oil company. This is Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. This is the last segment for this hour. If you're just joining us, this is Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. Now, if you've been paying attention to what's been going on with the Federal Environmental Protection Agency, the automakers in big oil, you would know that there's plenty of pushback going on with respect to the very stringent corporate average fuel economy standards. Uh, You probably would know them as CAFE standards for short. These standards have been around since the 1970s. They were designed to nudge automakers to improve the fuel economy of their vehicle fleets that they sold in the United States. Now, what you might not know is back in 2012, 90% of the automakers agreed with the EPA to adopt very strict fuel economy standards starting in the 2022 to 2025 model year time frame. They also agreed during that meeting to include light-duty trucks. That would be uh, your crossovers, your light-duty pickups, and that would be like your half tons, but not your three-quarter tons, and uh, your light-duty SUVs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't up till now, up till that time, they weren't included in the standard. They are now. There was also a promise by the EPA at that time to revisit the progress towards those standards, meeting those standards in 2018. Hmm. Well, guess what? We're here. We're here. The day of reckoning is here. And to make a long story short, cheap gasoline, big sales of profitable trucks, SUVs, and crossovers have kind of changed the landscape. The interested parties, namely the automakers and big oil, want a break. Well, that's most of big oil anyway. Uh, This segment is actually about an oil company that's taking a slightly different approach. Okay, Jack. Okay. Um, Do you know what an airflow starship is? No. Want to guess? No. It is actually... A energy efficient uh, 18 wheeler. Uh, and this aerodynamic truck is equipped with 5,000 watt solar panels. It's a hybrid. Mm hmm. And guess what? And it, electric, it is a hybrid electric axle system, and it has a custom automatic tire inflation system 
which will make the truck more energy efficient. Now, which big oil company developed this truck? Back this truck up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's made by a oil company? It was developed in conjunction with a major oil company. You ready? ExxonMobil? No. Shell Oil. I was about to say that. Mm-hmm. Wow. They consider it Tesla's latest competition, and Shell's energy-efficient Airflow Starship, as a matter of fact, made its trek across from California to Florida, across Interstate 10, mm-hmm. uh, a couple days ago. Wow. Now, I'm assuming this has a driver. Um, at this time. Okay. Now, I'm going to say that although medium and heavy-duty trucks account for just 5% of the traffic, they account for almost one-fourth of all transportation emissions in the U.S. Now, the reason why this is important, the United States is pulled out of the Paris uh, Climate Accords. Correct. We're kind of dragging our feet about going electric. We're getting a lot of pushback because right now the average consumer is like, you know, give me a crossover, give me a pickup truck. That's what I want. However, the rest of the world is going electric. Is going electric. And, you know, the United States is only 5% of the world's population. Think about that for a minute. So we're going to end up behind the eight ball again. We could. They expect, and I did not read, so I don't know if they, in fact, beat it, but they expected to set a record for trucking fuel efficiency. The current record, believe it or not, for an 18-wheeler, right now the record is 13.4 miles per gallon. The average truck gets half that. Yep. They're now, getting six to seven feet to the gallon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the kicker is about Shell Oil that blew my mind. They have a 60-year plan to reduce emissions. Okay. No, no. I want to say this again. I want this to sink in. You know, we are always concentrating on the next quarter, next year, next month, next week. Three years, five years, ten years. If you're lucky. Yeah. 60-year plan. Now. Do they spell it out? Yes. Okay. Now, I'm going to throw something else at you. Who has more charging stations in Europe than they have gas stations? Shell. Exactly. Again... A big oil company. But again, you got also got to remember, Shell is a really big deal over in Europe. And here, in case you were wondering, uh, the Shell Oil Company's United States-based wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Dutch Shell. They employ in the United States 22,000 people based in Houston. Um, some of their other subsidiaries. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. They're the market leader. There are 25,000 Shell gas stations in the United States but there right are, now. But there are none in the town we live in. Yeah, but the rest of the country, yes. And actually, Shell is here through some of their other subsidiaries. Oh, okay. Um, if you see Pennzoil oil in the store, mm-hmm. that's Shell. Uh, if you've had your oil changed to Jiffy Lube, that's, that's Shell. Shell. Uh, if you bought Quaker State motor oil. Guess what? That's Shell? It's Shell. Okay. In the United States. So just because they may not have a gas station here, 
they're still around. But the important thing to note is that this oil company is taking one um, hydrocarbon emission seriously. And here's the thing. They're also partnering with hydrogen companies and car companies to develop hydrogen solutions as well. Okay, so they're still looking at some form of a combustible engine long term. Hydrogen, not crude oil. Okay. Big difference because you're talking a fuel cell, not an internal combustion engine. Got it. And that is a big deal. Did I mention a big oil company is doing this? Yes. Did I mention Shell is creating a 60-year plan to meet the Paris Agreement? It's called Sky, meeting with companies in the energy business, the automotive business, and a renewables business. Shell plans to spend $1 billion a year on renewables by 2020. Did I mention big oil? Yes, you did. Sasha, you started to say something. No? She is quiet as a mouse. That's scary. Um, All I'm saying, folks, is that things are not always the way they appear, and and things are going to continue to evolve and change like this. So that ends this hour. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. You have been listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.